Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. The lady was just, according to the the bar rep uh, that came to my shop a couple days later, yeah, this is a professional shopper. She's just taking you for a ride. You fix the radiator and she wants you to fix everything else for free. Come to find out, he was one of those techs that was handing out private business cards out the back door and taking work home with him. How is it okay for us to trust people to do that? But like you said, you're not going to walk into a doctor's office and Tatsu's going to be sitting there in his uh, button shirt and his tie and going, oh yeah, you know, I read a couple of books once and I performed uh, one knee surgery and you know, the guy turned out okay. So, you know, let me do your surgery for you. You would never do that. So why is it okay for people to do that in our industry though? It just makes no sense. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Uh, since Halloween is tomorrow night, uh, today today we're talking about uh, uh, shop horror stories. Uh, I think there's probably two uh, aspects of this that we're going to talk about. One is horror stories, like the worst customers we've had, things like that. And then I think the second is the future and the potential horrors that are coming for us uh, uh, in the future. Um, So uh, today we have with us uh, Brian Eilers. Uh, uh, Hi, Brian. Good to have you here. Say hello to the gang. Hello. And uh, we have with us uh, Michael Passman. Mike, how you doing? We're doing good. Trying to and stay his, warm. It's freezing cold here already. Yeah, we are too. Uh, uh, it's too darn early for that. Holy smokes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mr. Tatsu Tushida. Tatsu, how, how's things? My uh, my nephew. Things are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Not by blood, obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, adopted nephew. Um, uh, um, all right, guys. Uh, let's uh, Let's talk horror stories. Who has the... Who has the first, who wants to go first on the horror story uh, um, stuff? Uh, why don't we let uh, Tatsu go first? Tatsu, uh, uh, tell us the horror story. Well, my my horror story is is I my dad and me and my dad run the shop. Um, dad hired the guy that was um, just yesterday mopping the floors to be the service writer. This is back when I was a little bit more naive about running the shop. Um, I didn't know. I had just met Cecil and I, I just saw, saw this huge pie in the sky ideas about what, what needed to happen to the shop to become modernized. And I didn't know, I didn't have any systems and processes. Um, I, I knew I was overwhelmed at the front counter. So therefore we hired the kid, the, the punk kid of a, um, a young, was it, he was just hanging out, out back and, and we're like, Oh, well, you know, he can answer the phones and we just put him up front and ah, yeah. Scary. <laughs> um, the kid was good. I mean, he's talented enough to get the sale that was in front of him at the time. Um, uh, but, um, certainly not talented enough to get the customers to come back. And our car count tanked at the time. Um, I learned a lot of hard lessons during that period. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm still here and, and, but that was certainly a horror story for sure. Okay. So, um, 
What other, uh, so what, since Tatsu started us off with business horror stories, um, do, do, do either of you have a business horror story you'd like to, you'd like to share with us? Ryan, you got a business horror story? Yeah, I got a couple of them. It's, it's very similar to Tatsu's. <laughs> a few years ago, well, I started this business in 2008 and I ran this place with my father for about five years with me being the only tech. Uh, I hired a tech and I thought he was great. And we noticed that our car count started going down. down. I couldn't tell if it, whether it was the, the work, the quality of the work. Nobody ever said anything. Come to find out he was one of those techs that was handing out private business cards out the back door and taking work home with him. And then he would come in for work later and later every day saying, oh, he was doing family stuff. But come to find out some of our less loyal uh, clientele was going to his house at night and getting work done cheaper than the shop. How do you um, how do you so I I think I know how you dealt with it. But uh, is there a way to prevent that? Guys? I'd have to hear from somebody else and have to prevent it because I'm still struggling with it on, in a couple of ways. I think, I don't, um, I go think, ahead. go ahead. Um, tell, tell us how you're struggling with it. Well, I, I can't, I don't know how to stop it. Our state doesn't have a, uh, a, a, a stop gap measure in place. They have, you can do all the employee employment contracts you want, but they don't really stand up in a court of law. So if you tell a customer or a, a employee that they are not allowed to work on the, the makes and models that you work on in the shop, a judge will throw it out. So you can't stop somebody from working on cars. Is it in, in, uh, in your state, is it illegal uh, uh, for someone to work without a license or to work out of their home? No, any, any Tom, Dick or Harry can with a toolbox can work out of their garage. They can work wherever they want to. There's no licensure anywhere in this state. The only thing that, you have to be uh, licensed for us the, the 609 for the AC or for doing emissions work. That's the only licenses you have to have besides the, the standard sales tax license. Brian, I'm guessing that you're in California like me? No, I'm in Idaho. Ah, okay. California yeah. has the bar and, and, and typically the bar basically says that uh, unless you're licensed in the state of California, you're not supposed to be working on cars in the state of California. But the bar doesn't necessarily enforce that uh, in California because they don't go after those people that work out of their garage because there's no money in it. They only go after the people that are registered shops. Um, imagine, if you would, that we had a, um, a certification and licensing in our industry um, that dictated what you had, the experience you had to have, the test you had to take, whatever that was. And if you weren't certified and licensed, then you couldn't practice such as, you know, the, the, the law, um, American Medical Association, the, uh, what is it that, uh, we have a, an association for lawyers. Uh, we, uh, in, in, in the United States, if you're going to do nails, uh, uh, and hair, you have to be licensed to do nails and hair, but you don't have to be licensed to work on that $80,000 car that could kill somebody uh, tomorrow. Um, 
if it isn't repaired correctly. Uh, Mike, you guys have, um, I don't know if it's licensing, but you certainly have a certification process in Can in Canada. Um, yeah, but it's does it doesn't hold anybody accountable to anything. I mean, um, you could still work on your your buddy's car or whatever out of your garage. Um, you just you just can't be held. Well, I think the legalities behind if you have a problem with a car and you want to take you know take it to uh, the motor vehicle association and try to get some money for it or sue for lack of a better term. Um, then if it were some guy out of his garage, then you got nothing to stand on, but there's nothing stopping them from working on it. Um, they can't sign off on insurance inspections and um, interprovincial inspections and things like that. You do need a, a certified license for that, but um, it's still, there's no, no stopping anybody from working on a car out of their garage. Imagine if you would, um, and, and I guess if you're doing hair and nails, I know people that work out of their house. Uh, at least I, and I don't do hair and nails. I mean, I get my hair cut occasionally. Um, but um, I do know people that do hair and nails, but they also, believe it or not, I think every one of them has, has some kind of a license from the state to do hair or nails um, uh, that my wife or my daughters might go to. They just work out of their house. Um, so does, you know, how do you stop an employee currently from, uh, working on your customer's cars? Um, I think limiting the contact they have with the customer, as far as the techs would be one way. I don't think you could limit it completely, but that might be one way. And then secondly, in your manual stating that that is a, um, a terminatable, uh, instant terminatable offense, is probably at least another way, at least to have a punishment if it if you find out it's it's happening. I would terminate anybody if they worked on um, one of my customers' cars. Uh, period. We we allowed our guys to work on uh, close family, uh, grandma and grandpa, mom, dad, uh, children's cars, uh, and we allowed them to bring them in the shop. But other than that, we didn't want. I don't know why you would. I think there's a deeper problem here, and I think it's about pay. Uh, if 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 technicians were truly earning what they should earn, uh, um, would they need to work out of their house uh, to supplement their income? Uh, so maybe pay is is part of the issue. I see Tatsu nodding his head. Um, well, I think that comes down to if they're if they feel confident in how you are doing your how you're doing business the way that you're selling the work and the way that they're getting paid for the work. I think those three things really um, are, are what drive an employee to work after hours. If they're not getting paid enough, like you just said, or maybe they don't like the way that you do business. And if they don't like the way you do business, then if they think you're ripping someone off, then they're going to go and try to, you know, take some of that work from you because they, they don't, they aren't confident and they're not, um, they, yeah, they just don't feel confident in how you're running your business. So, so in that, you know, I, I'm ripping someone off, creating a culture in your business where the employees understand the numbers and they understand what, you know, what you have to do kind of to survive and to pay them the way that they want to be paid 
is probably one of the things that we could do uh, to help our employees at least understand that we're not quote unquote ripping people off. Um, and then of course, if you are ripping people off, uh, I, I think there's another way to deal with that. I, I quit, right? I mean, sorry, I can't work for you. I don't think you're an honest person and, and therefore I can't, I can't be here. I'll go do something else for somebody else. Who's not who I don't think is dishonest. Um, inter- interesting, uh, um, uh, conversation, not where I thought we would uh, start this thing out. <clears throat> how do we, how do we, um, as an industry, it, it, it drives me nuts because this kind of leads me to, we want to be seen as professionals so that we can make a, a decent living. Uh, we, we really don't want that guy working out of his garage because it demeans what we do and it makes it difficult for us to charge what we need to. And yet we're not willing as an industry to create certification and licensing or something that would probably reduce that dramatically. I don't think you ever make it go away completely, but I think, sir, could you imagine a, a, a guy who's not a doctor, you know, performing a surgery uh, even out of, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, anywhere but in a in a hospital, in a in a surgical unit, um, or you know, a lawyer, uh, um, you know, uh, practicing. Hey, Jer, good to see you, brother. Um, you know, practicing law uh, without without that piece of paper that says I'm. You know, I passed the bar, and uh, and, and I can practice law. And what what would be the consequences? For that but, person, but so, somehow that 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 to our industry, because people work on their cars at home as a hobby, they 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 minimalize how important we are to society. That's that's what it boils down to, though. But I, you know, I've got a very interesting point to add to that, uh, and I know that I, I don't like to talk about to bring political things into this, but I saw the greatest meme the other day. It was about the Greta, the Greta Thunberg or whatever, that little 16 year old girl from Sweden. The, the, the statement on the meme was um, you're going to trust a 16 year old girl to tell you that the climate, that the climate is changing. Would you trust a 16 year old to work, change the brakes on your car? And the simple answer to that for most people is no, but it seems like all of a sudden, because this guy's 25, 30, 35 years old, and he's, you know, oh, I've changed the brakes on my car lots. So I can do that for you. Like, but where, like you said, how is it okay for us to trust people to do that? But like you said, you're not going to walk into a doctor's office and, you know, Tatsu's going to be sitting there in his uh, button shirt and his tie and going, oh, yeah, you know, I read a couple of books once and I performed a one knee surgery and you know the guy he turned out okay so you know let me do your surgery for you you would never do that uh, well, so, why, so why is it okay for people to do that in our industry though it just makes no sense what if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our gear platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library, as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, gear provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For 
for help with improving your business, head to ifrave.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today. Well, you know, again, we don't have anything that says this is what defines you as a professional. And I would tell you that many of the guys in the industry don't feel themselves are as professionals. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just a guy who fixes cars. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I've told this story many times. My father, um, you know, dropped out of high school, uh, actually probably not even high school, junior high when he was 12 to go work, uh, back in the, I don't know, forties or whatever it was. Um, he graduated, you know, with a with a diploma, but I don't think he ever felt like he was very smart. And he was extremely smart. I mean, here's a guy that could drive a car around the block and tell you exactly what was wrong with it. And he was right, you know, 99.9% of the time. And, and uh, here's a guy that actually created a business and ran a business uh, and did well for his family and himself um, with little formal education, but he always felt like he wasn't worth much, certainly not what a doctor or a lawyer or somebody else was worth. That's the horror story for me is that we don't understand our value. I mean, forget the fact that we work on, you know, the person's second uh, largest investment in their life in most cases, which is their vehicle. Forget the fact that that thing weighs two tons and uh, is a killing death machine, um, you know, uh, and we've started to see some people getting sued, some technicians getting sued for not doing their job correctly in some states. Um, but we just don't understand what we're worth as an industry. Um, uh, and, and, and I don't, until we come together and we, and we go, look, um, I've been doing this a very long time and I almost hate to mention how long because, because I'm getting older and I don't want people to think I'm, I'm not smart enough anymore, but the education I got by doing this and being, you know, a, a business owner and struggling and fighting and losing um, to me, I mean, I have two college degrees and, and frankly, the education I got by running an automotive business to me was 10 times harder and 10 times better uh, than any education I ever got in school. Um, and yet there's so many guys that, that run these shops that I guess even feel like they're ripping someone off if they charge them, you know, a little bit of money and make a profit out of this thing. Um, uh, Brian, when you, when you started this, what, what did you, did you think, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm a tech and I, 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 I only have certain value. Or did you think I'm going to run my business and, and I'm going to make money and take care of my family? And, you know, what, how did you do that? What, what was your thought process? Well, when I initially wanted to start this shop, it's, I was in another, another industry before I took a break from being a tech. My whole life, that's all I've ever wanted to do was work on cars. I grew up in an auto shop. I grew up in my dad's shop. I, you know, as soon as I could walk, I was in the shop. And after I got out of the military, I went back to the civilian 
turning wrenches, changed industries to try to get away from it because the money wasn't there at the time. And back in 2008, I decided, look, I love the cars. I love the job. I love teaching people how to fix the cars. My dad was retiring from 55 years down in San Diego doing the same thing. I figured I'll start a shop. I can support my family, do what I love at the same time and make some make some extra money and, and do the things that I never did in my life, which is go travel the world with my family or uh, have extra to, hey, I want that. I, I can afford it now. I can buy it. So my thought process was if I became an owner and eventually had enough employees that were trustworthy, for lack of better words, and good at their job, I could back off turning the wrenches and start running the business and have more time for my family. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know that was my thought process. I want to be where where Seth Thorson is and where some other successful Jerry Passman, where they're at, where they can have one or two locations, they can have a cabin in the woods. They can take off and travel to, to Rome and to and other places on a whim because, Hey, the wife says she wants to travel. Let's go. We can afford it now. Let's, let's do it. And it, the other, the other thing I would say is, is that, is that incorrect? I mean, is that thinking incorrect? Uh, is the thinking of, I'm going to have a shop. I'm going to work really hard. I'm not going to make a lot of money, but I'll get by. Is that the best thinking or is the best thinking, you know, I can turn this business into something where I can go to Rome, you know, if I want to go to Rome or I can buy a nice car, if I want to buy a nice car, you know, um, and should my business uh, uh, support those kind of things for me? Uh, And the answer is, I think, holy smokes, why else be in business? Um, the, the the horror story in our industry is is that we don't have self-esteem. <clears throat> um, you hear the phones ringing in the background, and I, I've been wanting to chime in for the last two minutes while you were talking. But um, the thing that I do when, when, when I get on the phone and a, a potential customer um, calls up the, a shop and says, hey, how much for, for breaks on, on my 2005 Acura? And, and, and I'll get really into that phone call and and the thing i do i say hey i'm not i don't quote over the phone i'll go out to the garage and i have the phone on one ear and and have my finger in the other ear so i can really concentrate on this phone call and that tells my guys that i'm i'm really into this customer and this is this is leading somewhere okay i'm really into i'm really into my customers and 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 i'm really i really have an importance of of the work that i do and the guys in the garage will overhear me. I'll have to step away from my desk and walk, walk to the back of the shop. And I said, hey, well, I have the best technicians. I have ASC certified technicians and I have three-year, 36,000-mile warranty. And I don't cut any corners. And my guys will hear that. And it, what's interesting, what happened is as my guys were hearing me say that, their self-esteem started to come up. So, again... Horror story is the self lack of self esteem that the the average shop has out in the, in the industry. Do you, do you, so is there? I, I, thirty years ago, thirty five years ago, I I sat in a class. A uh, guy named Jim Hunt teaching the class, uh, you know, and um, uh, Larry Moore in California, ASCCA president, and and we. 
we're talking about certification and licensing and what that would do for our industry um, kind of as a whole. And yet, um, I've, I, I, over the years, I pushed that for, for a very long time, very hard. And I just got so much kickback uh, from the industry. Do you think that that is part of the lack of self-esteem? You know, I'm afraid if there was certification or licensing, I'm not smart enough to to qualify for that. You know, is that is that the horror story? That you know. Okay, so so I'm I'm a part of a lot of shop owner type forums um, on Facebook. And by the way, the Institute group is the one that I, that I hold to a higher par, but I'm, I'm in conversations with, with technicians and owners, um, on, on different forums all the time saying, well, you know, and I, I, I pay my guys a little modestly. I don't, a lot of you guys are, are doing better in business than I am. Um, and you guys can afford to pay a whole hell of a lot more than I can. But even at, at my modest pay, I, I'm being told that I'm overpaying, and by, by, by other other shop owners, I can't afford that. I, I there's no way I could do that. I, I pay my technician sixteen dollars an hour. And that's that's what I'm hearing in the other forums, and 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 that's in and of itself a horror story because I could almost go to McDonald's and get sixteen bucks an hour, right? You know, wage in Alberta fifteen. You can get that for sweeping floors. Exactly. In California, you have to pay double minimum wage if they have tools. And I was talking to a guy from San Diego who I think the minimum wage there right now is 11 and they're talking about taking it up to 14. So if I have a junior tech coming in, $28 is going to be my, my base. And, and I can't pay that plus more if I'm charging 80 or 90 even. I mean, I've got to be in the 120, 130 range to even consider paying somebody, you know, 30 bucks on benefits. And too many shops are not there. Um, yeah. How are we going to attract the, the, the new technicians? That's, that's been a, a leading well, topic for years. Interesting. You know, the <laughs> Lex, who, who sets all this stuff up for me, um, she gave me a couple of different, um, you know, about six different things. There was a um, there was an article in the LA Times or not the LA Times the New York Times on August the fifteenth um, about this woman who went and put her own frame in. There are there are shops now where you can rent a bay and tools uh, for the day and go in and do your own work on your own cars or work on I guess work on other people's cars too if that's what you want to do. Um, so this woman who who she is an engineer, she's a smart person, um, put a new frame on her Ford truck uh, and, and did it herself. And uh, now that vehicle is out driving around. Uh, what if, um, you know, what if she didn't do the job right? Um, you know, what's the potential there? Um, there's another one here uh, that uh, I think you were uh, talking about. Oh, where's that stupid article? Um, you know, the, the number I've heard is that we need 75,000 uh, new technicians in the industry. Uh, here's an article, or, or actually it was a news thing on Channel 5. Uh, CNBC, Kate Rogers, um, says we need 46,000 
new technicians uh, in the industry. I think that's uh, a way short of what we really need. Where, how are we going to get these people if we can't afford them, if we're not willing to pay them? Um, I, I can tell you, if I'm coming out of school right now and I'm 19 years old or 22 years old, 23, I'd, I'd rather um, program computer games and, and make 100000 a year to start uh, than I would um, go be a mechanic at $18 an hour and buy my own tools and, and bust my knuckles. And I think something Brian said is kind of important. The guys that are in the industry today and coming in the industry today are more guys who, um, who love cars. It's not, it's not a, uh, I can go in the automotive industry and make, you know, a, a really good living and take care of my family. It's, I love cars. Um, uh, I don't know what we do here. Um, because, if we don't do something, I mean, the, the horror story for the future for the industry is no tax. Um, I got three guys, three shop owners on online. How many of you could use a, a good tech uh, right now? Okay. One out of three here. What's that, Brian? Yeah, definitely. I could use two or three more good techs. Right. So, so, and, and I can tell you of the 130 or so shops that I work with, um, Probably 80% of them not only could use a good tech, but need a good tech. So I got to add on to what Tatsu was saying the other day, or the other day, just a little minute ago there, on how are we supposed to uh, promote um, new guys or gals to come work in the industry. And I think um, the way that has worked really well for us is uh, we've got a program in Alberta. It's called the Registered Apprenticeship Program. And it's put on through um, the apprenticeship board with uh, through works of the high school. So they've got kids in high school that are interested in whatever industry, automotives, carpentry, plumbing, whatever have you. And they can take time away from school. So they take a class or two classes and they come down and work for me. And I have the option to pay them or not. I, we always do because you got to, you know, it promotes good work. And why not? I mean, if a kid can come work for you for three hours a day and then not have to have a nighttime job, they're loving it. All the hours that they bank, that all goes towards their first year so that they can go into their apprenticeship school straight out of high school if they wanted to. We have now rolled through, oh, I think we probably are on our sixth or seventh kid that's come to work for us. Um, the one that's currently at the Euro shop, he's going for his uh, first year of trade school here right away. Um, great, great kid. Super excited to see how he transitions through the rest of his apprenticeship. Um, the one guy that we just, uh, we brought to the World Pack Expo, we brought him down to our Bimmers conference. Um, he just ended up uh, deciding that working on BMWs wasn't for him. So he went off and started to work on trucks, but he worked with us for four or five years. And you know, I think that's, a, Seth is really good at that. You know, he puts on a scholarship um, through his uh, community. And I think being involved with your high schools um, as an automotive shop is probably one of the best ways that you can promote the industry, as well as try to find good, solid techs that you can then literally hone from what is a tire. You know, like they, they don't know nothing before they show up and then you get to train them on literally every aspect of your business and the industry. So they don't come into your shop with bad habits. It, um, 
interestingly enough, um, I think that's how do we, how do we, so let's, let's do that. And I know a lot of shops that are working locally. Um, however, in the United States, a lot of high schools have gotten rid of their automotive programs and even a lot of colleges are struggling to fund their automotive programs and keep their automotive programs going because they're also struggling to get students in them. Um, and, and, and so <clears throat> let's assume that we all, every shop adopts a couple of guys or a couple of gals uh, and, and starts to, to, to train them uh, and, and, and teach them and, and move them in. And then they come in and they see what's involved and they look at what they can earn here and what they can earn somewhere else doing something else. How do we keep them in the industry if we can't, if we can't afford, you know, three weeks of paid vacation and paid holidays and a 401k or a a good retirement plan and medical, uh, you know, insurance and some of those things that, that, that they need. I see a real need in our industry to, to step it up, uh, uh, to be, um, you know, to, 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 to look at this and be, we need to be better at who we are and, and the image that we bring across. My, um, my shop, um, I, I can't say that I have all my systems and processes uh, together just yet. I'm just starting out to finally become the shop that I really want to be. So not a, not a lot of it's written out, um, but I've, I've fought long and hard for the last five years or so to, to really try to bring some visibility to my shop. And the type of candidates that walk through the door nowadays, it, it's so much better than it, it, it than it ever was. They really want to work here. They, they see, they see the image that I'm trying to portray and, 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 and the people that are coming through the door are kind of fitting that mold now. Um, Do you think think though, Tatsu, that, that, that part of that's, um, or, or maybe even a big part of that is because you're a different shop than you were four years ago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Certainly your imaging Four years ago, and your imaging today is different. Very, very different. And 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 a lot of times, I have discussions with other shop owners, and that that say I have a technician shortage, I have a this and that shortage of people. I can't get them through the door. And I, I look at their shops, and and quite honestly, that was my shop years ago. I, I I couldn't get a person through the door, but recent as as of recently, I don't have that problem. There's a ton of different advisor training options in the industry, making the choice that much harder to make. Some shove too much into too little of a time frame, they can be inconvenient and costly, or they're just filled with unhelpful, non-applicable information. So how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? The Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is the industry's leading service advisor training, now almost entirely online. With one-on-one coaching, KPI tracking, live community trainings, a resource library, and more, there's no wonder why advisors who finish the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the Advisor Mastery Program today. Head to iframe.com and register now. We'll see you in class. There's the commercial. Now let's let's talk horror stories. Let's make a shift here. Um, obviously, the industry is getting you know tougher and tougher. Um, I'd like to talk about um, at least I'd like to talk about Frank Kalbeck. Uh, Frank Kalbeck 
uh, was a customer of mine a few years ago, uh, showed up with his Chrysler. Uh, we did about $4,000 worth of work on the car. And the next day, uh, Frank looked in his checkbook and saw that someone had written a check to our shop uh, in his checkbook in his handwriting and didn't remember that he had written the check. Now, Frank, um, come to find out later, was uh, suffering from Alzheimer's and um, didn't have someone really taking care of him. But um, Frank called me. Uh, I think the number was like 57 times that day. Uh, very agitated and very upset Wow! Uh, about the fact that someone had written us a check out of his checkbook uh, for something he didn't remember. Uh, Frank was screaming and yelling uh, and swearing a lot in the, in the phone. And it was really funny because I was, I was very calm and I was like, Frank, um, if you're going to swear, I'm going to hang up the phone. And of course he was swearing. So I would hang up the phone and then the phone would ring and I would, Thank you for calling Larry's Auto Works. This is Cecil. How could I help you? And it'd be Frank screaming and yelling again. And I'd hang up the phone. And this went on for like uh, more than 50 times uh, before it kind of went away. Um, I, I remember Frank and that day and, the, and those conversations uh, because that was one of the tougher experiences I have had uh, as a service advisor at the at the counter. He was he was my uh I don't know, Frankenstein customer or whatever you want to say. Um, how about you guys? Have you had a, have you had a Frankenstein customer? Have you had a customer like Frank or something else uh, that, that went on in your shop? I need a few minutes to think about it. So somebody else take the, take the reins here for a minute. Take the reins. Brian, you got somebody you want to talk about? I got one more I can talk about uh, that. I, I obviously remember, but uh You've been doing this since you said 2008. Do you remember somebody? I remember a couple, but I need to figure out how I'm going to pre present it. So oh, go ahead. Don't. <laughs> that puts me on the spot. <laughs> Give me a few minutes. I'll come over. Um, I think the other the other thing here is, is, you know, how do you how do you deal with that person who seems to be somewhat um, crazy uh, uh, in your business? And 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 if you're in business, you're going to get a Frank Kalbach. You're going to get somebody that is, is that guy or gal that is angry, mad, unhappy, and it's got to be your fault. Um, uh, so Tatsu, you're, you're, you're spot on, buddy. You're it. Um, long before I had systems and processes in place and long before I knew what I was doing in business, um, I still don't know what I'm doing in business, but thanks to you guys, I'm learning. But any which way, I, I had a Honda Civic that was just absolute beater show up. It was pissing out the uh, radiator and we replaced the radiator and, and then it came back and it was pissing out of 15 more different ways. And I, I, I reapproached every time we found another leak. Um, but the lady was just, uh, according to the, uh, the, the bar rep uh, that came to my shop the, uh, a couple days later. Yeah. This is a professional shopper. Um, she's just taking you for a ride. Um, you fix the radiator and she wants you to fix everything else for free. So yeah, I've had a, I've had a few of those over the years, but I, I've not gotten really good at weeding them out over the years. So was the, was the bar on your side? The bar wasn't necessarily on my side. Just they were, but they said, Hey, we, we realize what kind of customer this is. Um, just pay the money to, uh, to the lady and, and, um, just walk away from this one because she's just going to 
go out kicking and screaming. So I think sometimes you have to do that. I was talking to a shop owner, um, I don't know, last week who had a killer car in their shop. It was just killing him. It was a Honda. In fact, I think I sent him to one of the names I sent was you Tatsu. Um, and, uh, thanks Cecil. Um, but it was killing him. And, you know, I told the owner, I said, sometimes walking away is the better part of valor here. You know, sorry, here you go. Take it somewhere else. Um, I think that you lose sometimes, you know, talking about techs, I think that sometimes you can lose a tech over the killer car that comes in, right? If it keeps eating you alive. I see Brian kind of shaking his head a little bit there. Um, so, Brian, have you thought about how you're going to uh, talk about your uh, your Frankenstein customer or uh, uh, you ready to tell us? Sure. Um, a few years ago, we had a okay. client come in and a customer come in with a older Porsche 944. Uh, came in for overheating and customer says, well, it's got uh, coolant in the oil and oil in the coolant. So we decided we're going to do um, diagnose it. And I pulled the head, cylinder head because the, the normal 944s, they blow a, a head gasket. So we pulled the cylinder head. Yes, the cylinders were full of water, cracked uh, uh, gasket. And the customer decides, well, I don't, can't afford to fix it. So he pulls it out of the shop. A year later, he calls back and says, well, I want to bring the car in and have it fixed properly. And so he tows it in on a rope and he said, I got $5,000. That's it. That's all, all I have to fix this car. Well, at the time, the horror of this was we needed the car in. Uh, we needed the money. So we decided, okay, we'll go ahead and do it. We'll do the job for under, under, under anybody else's bid, just because you know, me being, basically new in the, in the, in the business will take the job. Something is better than nothing. Exactly. So yeah. we do the job and the customer calls back a couple months later, says, well, there's oil in the water, but there's no water in the oil. Hmm. Interesting. So he keeps calling and we keep telling him, we'll send it to a truck for it. No, no, I'll bring it in. I'll bring it in. This goes on for over a year, year and a half. You know, comes to come to find out the guy had no intention of ever bringing the car in. He just wanted his money back. So he sued us in court. We lost, mm. but we could never find why the oil was mixing in with the water. We thought that he was adding uh, oil into the coolant reservoir. And then he'd come in when he went into court, he came in with a, a two, two gallon jar with the wrong colored coolant that we didn't put in the car with oil mixed with it. And it's one of those things where the old adage, you try to do something nice for somebody and always turns around and bites you in the butt. And so we did a job for under list, under book, uh, under price, just to get the car in and in hopes of making a customer. And it turned out to be the nightmare Frankenstein customer that still to this day does not go away. As, as, as a consultant um, working with shops, I think that most of the time, when we get ourselves in trouble, it is in that kind of situation where we're, I don't know if we're desperate, but I, you know, I don't have enough work in the shop. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to take something in for less than I really want to. And that's the person that's going to eat me alive or the car that's going to eat me alive. Um, I think that 
I think we should be more careful even from the beginning about who we let come into our shops. Um, and I would love to see a customer blacklist, um, you know, where we could put the names of these kind of people that seem to be taking advantage of us uh, for other shops to look at and, uh, and, and go, okay, here's, here's my experience. Here's, here's how I see it. Here's what happened. My recommendation is that you wouldn't work on this person's car. Wouldn't that be nice if, uh, and maybe if we had a real association, we might we might be able to do something like that. Uh, wouldn't it be nice, Brian, if you could if you could look that customer up and go, "Wow, he's bitten three other shops." Um, I probably don't want to do business with this guy. Thank you, but no, thank you. Uh, wouldn't that be? They do it to us. They have Yelp. They have Google. They have Facebook. They have all these other uh, uh, sites that they can go and and basically blacklist all of us as shop owners and, and technicians all over the world. But there's nothing that's for our benefit for the same purpose. And I go I, ahead. I, I just thought of one more. Go ahead. Finish what you're going to say, Brian. I had talked to an, an attorney customer of ours and had mentioned that because it, it came up in passing. He goes, you know, the sad part is, is we live in such a litigious society that, yes, they can go and 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 basically slander us all over Google and Yelp. But the second we do it to them on a, on a different level, then that opens up a Pandora's box for a whole different type of liability as shoppers, which is the sad part. Is it's, it's not a two-way street. It's only one way with, with a roadblock at the end, and that's the, the court system. In the United States, we... we um we have this uh, uh, freedom of speech thing, um, and yet I don't get my freedom of speech because I own a business and it creates liability for me if I really tell you how I feel about Joe Customer and 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 my interaction with Joe Customer. Um, I don't know. Maybe if it was only stated in a very specific way, um, that liability might go away. Here's the experience I have, and here's how I feel about it. Stop wasting your time trying to find a magic bullet. There isn't one. However, our Keys to Automotive Business Success teaches the foundations of a successful automotive shop and gets you started on the right path, which is pretty close. You'll learn how to set actionable and achievable goals, understand your financial model, and how to communicate more effectively with your team. This course was designed to jumpstart your results, not waste your time. Take the class today, and you'll learn how to start creating the business and life you want. Visit iFrave.com to register for the class at only $49 and available to take wherever and whenever you'd like. It's what every shop owner needs to kickstart their business into success. So we had a Subaru Forester here um, about a year and a half ago. And um, we um, we were doing a head gasket to it. And... Um, as head gaskets go, there's no definitive date when it's going to get done. Um, it's 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 going to be a week. It's going to be a week and a half. That's about the amount of time that a Subaru head gasket is going to cost uh, take it because just just you know other cars that might be in the shop. <clears throat> well, come Friday, this lady calls calls up and and I say, well, um, we're not exactly done, and she starts crying over the phone like like as if she had a psychotic break and in, in screaming at me, I said, well, you know, that's, that's how, that's just the nature of a head gasket. It just takes, no, it isn't. It basically screaming. We finished the head gasket around, uh, around Tuesday. And, and I knew things were going to go sideways. She brought her husband. She brought 
everybody in her uh, little circle to basically confront me. Well, the car's done. I mean, and and a few days later, we like, we get a bad review, um, and it can. It, and then another few days later, it's leaking, and it shows up at my shop. Um, I, I think I actually called you, Cecil. About I think I remember this car. <laughs> this this one, yeah, this one. Um, and, and and if it was a if it was a normal customer, they just call us up. Hey, it's leaking. You know, um, I, I realize you guys aren't perfect, and we can fix it for you. Uh, and, 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 uh, I understand that things don't go right all the time. So I'm going to bring the car back. You know, that's, that's our normal customer. Um, in this particular case, it was another set of screaming, uh, psychotic break on the phone. Um, you better fix it by this and you have to come to my house and wipe up the oil. Okay. I deserve, I deserve that. I should go do that. And we fixed it. Um, about three weeks later, the cam seal decides to pop out. She's on the 57 North exiting Lambert and all, and how the Subaru is designed is, is the, if the camp seal pops out, it leaks onto the uh, exhaust and smokes everywhere. Um, and yeah, well, she thought the car was on fire. She calls the fire department, gets the insurance involved, uh, insurance assists that they take it over to, um, to the Subaru dealership. Uh, and, and Subaru dealership wants to do exploratory surgery to the car and take the whole freaking thing apart. Whereas if it came to my, came back to my shop, we would have probably just put a cam seal back into it and, and see how it goes from there. Um, but, uh, man, I lost my ass on that one. Um, insurance, I ended up calling insurance. They took care of it for me. Uh, they ended up, uh, salvage titling the vehicle and I, I love my insurance company. They treat treat me well it was just easier for them to total the vehicle and 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 yeah yeah she she had lawyers involved at this point um it was not pretty and 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 i i don't i don't uh deny that i did a little bit of wrong here but at the same time it was kind of her gross overreaction that that was creating uh, a lot of this problem and I think if you're in if you're in this business, um, there comes a time and a place where you have that customer or that problem. You know, my when I was a tech, I wasn't perfect. Um, I was close, but not not perfect. Um, and uh, I don't expect my techs to be perfect. And occasionally, we get a car, we do something that that is a problem, and then we get a crazy customer to go along with it. It's uh, it becomes uh, way compounded and and. Uh, that's why my hair is white, actually. Uh, before kids in this in this industry, I, I didn't have white hair. Um, Mike, uh, you got a story for us? I was trying to go through the Rolodex and trying to come up with one because, you know what, we've all got a few. And um, you know what, I think it's it all boils down to, like, just how you handle them. I mean, you know, coming to talking about Tatsu Singh, we had a guy um, did an oil change on his, uh, uh, his E53 X5. And uh, phones us about a day later and there's oil all over his driveway and he opened the hood to have a look and my tech forgot to uh, put the oil cap on after he did the oil change. So he brings the car back to us. We get everything cleaned up. We go out to his house. We scrub the driveway, you know, floor dry, pick up all the oil. And he, when he phoned me back the first time, Hey Mike, you know, like this is what's going on. I know you guys, things happen, but, you know, I got quite the mess here. And so we went and cleaned it up. Um, six months goes by. We haven't seen him. 
um, or heard from them. So I give him a call and I say, Hey, how's it going? Like, haven't seen you. Just wondering how things are going. He goes, yeah, you know, after that last little bout of with the oil change, I just, I don't really feel comfortable coming back to you guys. And I said, well, you know, I understand that. I said that technician that we had, he's no longer employed with us anymore you know, due to a couple of other errors. Um, we'd love to get you back in the shop. You know, I'll do, uh, I think we did his seasonal changeover for free or something to get him in the shop. So then we get him in the shop and no word of a lie. Two days later, he phones me. Hey, Mike. Uh, so I got oil all over my driveway again. And uh, he opened up his hood. The exact same thing had happened. Different technician. They forgot to put the oil cap on. <sighs> At this point, I'm losing my mind, right? I mean, so now we're back for round two for cleanup. We're, we're um, having to still now regain this guy's trust. And um, I don't really know how I managed to capture him back again. But the entire time we had this conversation, it was um, – he was super calm the entire time, which was super nice to deal with because he could have been like Tatsu's lady phone me and just screaming at me. And I think the way that you sort of reciprocate your tone on the phone, when you get that customer on the line, um, helps to speak volumes to how that situation is going to unfold. Um, you know what? We all have that customer that leaves our car at our shop for, uh, um, a month or something and and uh, they say that you haven't communicated with them you haven't sent them an estimate and then they come to pick up their car and i was just looking over some old reviews and i found a comical one on a an x3 that sat at our shop for no word of a lie a month and a half we diagnosed the car two days in a month and a half after multiple lines of communication with this guy phone calls emails what are you going to do with the car this is the estimate he finally, says, yeah. he finally says, I'm not going to fix it. So he comes to pick it up. Then he writes us this review, horrible review, that we never once sent him an estimate. He came to pick up the car. It was absolutely filthy. Well, yeah. Like, it sat in our parking lot through the tail end of winter for a month and a half. What did you think we were going to do? Like, detail the thing for you before you picked it up? You know, it's you get those customers that you just never want in your shop and we all, we've all experienced them, right? So you put a smile on your face, <clears throat> you tell them, I'm sorry, and then, you, and then you don't ever work for them again, period, right? And that's the person that would go on my blacklist. <clears throat> um, I think it's interesting. We, we had customers. I think my, my, the customer I, one of the customers I dislike is the person that leaves their car all day and you call them five times or you email them or you text them. And, uh, and then at the end of the, at the end of the day, they show up at four 30 when everybody's picking up their cars and, and they're like, um, Oh, I come to pick up my car, but they never talk to you. The car's still torn apart in the shop because you haven't got an authorization. You haven't got any communication from that person. Um, um, how do you, how do you, how do you force that person to communicate with you or can you, uh, because they're going to go in and write a nasty review and something's going to, it's going to be bad for us, which is not what I want. Um, uh, Brian, how do you deal with someone like that? You know, we get that a lot. We'll have a customer bring their car in, they drop it off, they want the estimate, and dad will try to contact them back 
and we don't hear from them. We don't hear from them. We don't hear from them. And then they'll show up, like you said, at the end of the day, and they want the car. Uh, I I deal with it different than, than dad does. Dad, basically, he tells them the truth. Look, you didn't call me. You didn't authorize the work to begin with. You didn't uh, uh, tell me you have a time frame. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you want the car back, and it's not ready. Uh, you know, let's give me a day. We'll get it put back together. Me, I don't know how. I, I, I've dealt with it before. I, I just basically tell Dad, just tell him to come get the damn car. Put it on a tow truck, tow it out of here. I mean, they, they authorize us to inspect it and do a teardown. And then they expect it back the same day. I think that's what you, if I understood your question, is how how we handle the customers that expect their car done the same day. Is that what you were? I was hoping no, no. That. Well, no. I think I think for me, I mean, we had lots of customers that wanted their car back today because I think every customer wants their car back today. Uh, when we're they right. look at the morning, their their thought is, you know, I'm going to come after work and I'm going to pick this thing up and then I won't have to deal with this anymore. But it's the guy who doesn't you know in the morning in our shop when you came in i would say is this the phone number that i can reach you at today is this the email and i would circle the phone number in the email because i knew that that was what they told me and i wanted not only myself but my guys to be able to say oh this is how we get a hold of this guy and then throughout the day every time we called or sent an email there'd be a note on the ticket right i tried to call the guy here i left a message here i sent an email i texted him and you might have six notes where you tried from about, you know, 11 o'clock on almost every hour to get a hold of the guy. And then he shows up at 430 and his car is still a part in your shop. And you have paying customers standing there who've authorized work. And he expects you to drop everything and get his car all put together and, and get out of there, you know, in the next 10 minutes. Um, I basically told that guy, you know, I'm sorry, you didn't call me back. And here's all the times that I tried to get a hold of you and all the ways. And this is what you told me I could do. So, uh, you know, come tomorrow, we'll have the car put back together and you can pick it up, but it isn't going to be ready tonight. Um, and then I didn't want to work on that guy's car anymore. And often I don't think they came back either because they didn't get what they expected. Um, we're, we're getting to the end of this whole thing. Um, I don't know if I want to, uh, uh, I don't know if there's a wrap up, you know, um, I think in our business uh, from the start of our, our, our conversation here that we need to, as an industry kind of come together. I think certification licensing is one of the ways that would help us uh, to be seen as more professional and to increase the um, labor rates and things like that within our industry. Um, and I think it would also uh, um it would, it would benefit the industry because we've got to pay technicians more. I think that when we're dealing with customers, uh, we have to kind of step ourselves aside sometimes and take our egos out of the mix. And, you know, this person is a crazy person. It's a crazy person. I'm not going to solve the problem. Here you go. Go away. Uh, don't talk to me anymore. Um, we'll give you guys each just a, maybe a 32nd or 62nd. Um, what, what advice do you have um, uh, for these guys out there who are dealing with their Frankenstein customer? We'll, uh, we'll start with you, Mike, and then we'll go to Brian. Uh, you got to hold your ground. Stand to your values and, and know what you expect of your customer. At the end of the day, you have expectations for your customers just as well as they have expectations for you. And you need to know what those are. Um, and they need to be the same. 
with each and every customer, uh, regardless of who they are, what they drive, what they're bringing to you. Um, and if you, if they don't meet your list of expectations, you don't need their business because it's going to end up biting you in the end is, is I think what the, everybody needs to remember and focus on for that part. It's funny when we bend our, our, um, our moral values or whatever for that person, it, it is the time that gets us in trouble almost yeah. always. Uh, Brian, your advice. My advice would be just basically the same as what was just said. You got to hold yourself to a higher standard and, and the customer has to understand that too, that when, hey, Bernie, when you're doing something trunk, you, right and you make a promise, you have to stick to that promise. Yes. There are things that happen in this industry where, okay, yes, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, you, you're probably ready at four o'clock. It's a simple job, but then you get into it and it's not what you thought it was. There's more damage done. And you just have to stick, stick, stand up for yourself and say, look, call them, call the customer, explain to the customer the problem, not let them call or show up and say, I'm ready for my car. You had it ready at this time. The communication with the customer and the employees and everybody else involved with the, with the situation is it's key. It's communication and understanding and getting and, and, and helping the customer understand why the process didn't go as easy as you made it out to be in the first place. I think it never, uh, never, uh, sometimes it doesn't go 20% of the time. You know, if you follow the 80, 20 rule, it's never going to go as it should 20% of the time. And and you have to be aware of that. And I think holding your standards is really important. Um, and I think that it actually benefits your business. If the customer looks at you as someone who has those standards and, 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 and stands up for your staff and your business and yourself, uh, Tatsu last, last word. Well, rather than to echo what uh, uh, Mike and Brian had said, um, I would just, I would create the expectation to begin with over the phone, um, which has been my blessing um, and and good fortune. I basically say, hey, this is what we are. This is what we stand for. And and that way it almost drives a wedge in that phone conversation to the people who absolutely insist on having it cheap and fast. Um, I'm not going to cut any corners. I'm going to put quality parts on it. I'm going to put a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty. And and to the cheap guys or gal is going to be like, oh, crap, uh, this guy's going to be really out of my price range. And to the people who really um, insist on quality, they'll come in in spades. I think we just need to think about our industry as a whole and and, and have a little more um, add a little more value to, to ourselves and, and what we're worth as an industry. And I like holding the line. I, I think our marketing needs to define who we are and needs to say, I'm not willing to work on that customer's car or I'm not willing to work for free. Um, frankly, if I have to work for free, I want to go somewhere. I'll go sit on the beach in, in Hawaii and work and not work, uh, you know, um, as opposed to, you know, busting my hump. Um, uh, thank you guys for being here. I want to thank uh, Brian. Uh, I know this, you were a little nervous about this. Uh, see, it was easy. It's a piece of cake, my friend. Um, Mike, thank you for being here. Tatsu, uh, we appreciate you. Um, and uh, thank everyone for watching. If you'd like to see more of The Leading Edge, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, it's The Leading Edge and look for our, uh, our, our logo there. Uh, thank you guys and have a great day. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.
That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by GearForShops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iForAbe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.